Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Have you ever been caught in the middle of other people's conflicts? You're not feuding with anyone, but the people in your office are stuck in an unmanaged conflict and it's making your work environment unnecessarily difficult. Today on Conflict Managed, we talk with Brian Walski, who works in cybersecurity. Brian recalls a situation where he got along with his colleagues, but his colleagues did not get along with each other. Listen as he recounts the strategy he employed to deal with this difficult and all-too-common situation, and he reflects on whether it was successful. Brian also tells us about his best work experiences where he developed professionally and had the most fun. He shares his insight, gathered from 15 years of experience, as to what is an essential ingredient of remote work. Brian leaves us with the great reminder to humanize our colleagues. When you start to quote-unquote, other than, we can make excuses for treating them as less than. Resist this temptation and instead see the humanity in your colleagues and act with empathy. Brian Walski is currently a sales enablement lead for a cybersecurity startup. His path included being a system engineer at three different IT and security manufacturers, a salesperson in three different industries, a professional musician, and many of the jobs you find in a restaurant. Good afternoon, Brian, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thanks, Mary. I'm so glad that you're here today to share with us all of your interesting experiences. I know you have pretty, a pretty interesting and varied background when it comes to work. Will you tell us about your work history? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, you kind of set it up to, to make sure that it's going to be interesting. I don't know if I can deliver, but I'll try. Um, <laughs> So my background, uh, you know, I kind of think of it as kind of two different tracks that I went down. Uh, one of them was professional musician, and then the other one was more career oriented, right? Uh, and it happened to be in sales and in technology. And so currently, I am a sales enablement lead for a cybersecurity company, and uh, we're a startup. So, you know, there's a lot of hats that we have to wear in, in smaller companies, right? And uh, it's also an emerging technology. So it's, there's not a lot of uh, people in the industry that you can go to or mentors that you can find that have been there, done that, right? We're kind of converging a lot of different solutions. So it's interesting because uh, it, it does require me to, to learn a lot every day, you know, every week I'm constantly learning. But previous to this job, I was a system engineer. Uh, so that's, you know, and I was on the pre-sales side. So all the technical stuff that goes into selling somebody, a security solution or an IT solution for their data centers. It was all business to business stuff, right? That's really what I've been doing for the past, I don't even know, almost 20 years, 15, 16, 17, probably. Um, and, uh, and before that, uh, before I kind of got into selling um, and all that and IT, I was, I was a musician. So, and I tried to have them overlap for a while too. And that, um, while somewhat successful, uh, it was very hard, you know, from a personal standpoint, right, to kind of keep that going. And so music now is more of a hobby. And, uh, you know, I play at my church and 
play at home. And my wife and I actually are getting uh, a group back together. That's how we met. We met in a band uh, years ago. And uh, so uh, we are going to get back into the music. So, so, so music is still a passion, still something that I love to do. But technology and cybersecurity are what pay the bills. You know, it's interesting. You talk about these two tracks, and yet there's something very in common of both ways of what you've chosen to work is that it's not traditional brick and mortar, right? So the band life True. is different all the time. You're, you know, you're, you're recording, you're on the road, you're doing all that is yeah. involved in being a professional musician. And then um, for, is it correct that most of your career has been work from home? Yeah, um, early on, when I first got into sales, I, <laughs> I did used cars and insurance is really where I started in sales, right? That's the, that's, and that's a great place to start, right? Because that's sure, the one that, yeah. I, those are the two that everyone hates, right? It's like, you have to overcome a lot of adversity just in having the title of used car salesman or insurance salesman. Um, but when I got into technology, it was really something that was, I was passionate about. I loved it. It was, it was a lot of fun. And so at first I worked in a call center. Uh, for a technology company, a big one, one that everybody knows, right? Hundreds of uh, over a hundred thousand employees that actually gave me uh, a lot of the training and the understanding of how to kind of work in an environment like that and how to be successful in an environment like that. And what, uh, you know, the corporate landlords are looking for, right? Uh, and the tenants that, that, that uh, come into their, uh, their realm, if you will. Um, and, and so I probably spent uh, five years or so, uh, maybe not quite, maybe a little less than five years, maybe about four years, kind of in that, you know, almost uh, introductory period of, of figuring that out. And then I went to a remote job, you know, that company moved me to the field into field sales uh, as an engineer. And uh, so, you know, uh, that's kind of where I started learning uh, what, it, what it took to be a remote employee a manager that instead of talking to you a few times a day because they're sitting on the same row with you and went to a few times a week. And then I had jobs where it was a few times a month. And then it went to where you talk to your manager a few times a quarter. The job I have now, uh, I never even saw or met my manager until a few quarters after I started, right? Because he lives in a whole nother country than I do. Um, so I'm glad that I had that progression of kind of getting more and more freedom and, and, and all that, because then you kind of learn what you need to do to be successful. When you think about your different work experiences, what stands out to you as the most difficult? So either mm. with an organization or with a person or a situation, and what was it that was difficult for you? Sure. And you know, what's funny, I knew you're going to ask this and I wrote stuff down and I'm ready to talk about it, but it wasn't easy for me to, to, remember or figure it out um you know obviously you and i have have met a few times before we know each other uh, a little bit right uh, but i try hopefully i came across as a person I, I try to be a pretty positive person right uh, and have a good positive outlook on life so i actually had to go to my wife and said hey if you were to pick an experience for me because you know you always complain to your spouses right like oh this right. happened at work and it was it was terrible or whatever and she immediately had something in her, in her mind. And I was like, I've totally forgot about that. That's perfect. So, um, you know, and, and I guess all I was saying all that to say, you know, sometimes when, you know, I try to have the positive outlook, maybe I'm kind of forgetting uh, about the negatives, which I don't know. Is that good? Is it bad? I don't know. Um, that's for another discussion, right? A whole another podcast of uh, internalizing that negative stuff. So, um, but 
she brought up, you know, uh, one of my previous roles. Uh, I've already mentioned that I'm in uh, field sales and technical sales. And so I had a manager and uh, a sales rep that I was partnered with. So me and this sales guy, we're partners, right? We go out, we own the same accounts, the same territory. Uh, we went to, uh, you know, he would be the, the seller, the sales rep, and I'd be the technical seller. And we would try to win deals, right? Opportunities. And so as this team, we were out there um, chasing a number, trying to bring revenue in to, this, to the organization. Well, um, this particular sales rep, you know, type A personality, you know, it's kind of like, you know, sees uh, the finish line and, and goes for it, no matter what obstacles are in the way, right? And, you know, my manager and him just kind of were like oil and water. Um, they, they didn't get along. Well, I had to have a working relationship with my sales guy, right? I don't report to him. He has no authority or anything like that over me, but my boss actually has authority over me. So for me, that was a very difficult situation because, I mean, they did not mix, right? And it got to the point where we basically kind of kept them away from each other. And I had to almost be like that intermediary. Uh, if anything needed to get from one to the other, it had to go through me, right? Uh, and, and I actually love both of both of the, these guys a lot. Still keep in contact with them. Uh, in fact, I think I've texted both of them this week. Um, you know, so we still, we still keep in contact, great relationships, but for whatever reason, they didn't get along. So for me, that was very hard to figure out how to kind of navigate those waters. So how did you navigate those waters? Well, I mean, I mentioned I had to be kind of that intercessor and balance my efforts, uh, with my boss and also with my sales guy. Right. And I hoped, uh, that, oh, you know, once, this guy gets to learn, you know, this other guy's, you know, what, just the way that they communicate or, you know, we, we have some successes here and there, you know, maybe time will heal it. Right. Maybe, maybe if we just kind of give time a chance, uh, it'll be fine. But I mean, time maybe softened it a little bit, but it never fixed it. It was not one of those things where, uh, where we're like, well, let's just pretend it doesn't exist and eventually it won't. Right. I mean, it's just not the, that's not the case. And I think a lot of times that's probably what I had hoped for in the past of uh, not uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like, like going in and and directly uh, confronting that conflict that's there. Right. But just kind of, uh, you know, like like the oyster does, you have this irritant and you start putting something over the top of it. And then you come up, come out with a pearl. That was kind of my hope that maybe in the end we have something valuable, but uh, it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, that's right. If you were working with them again, so let's suppose something happened, they get hired in your company and you're in the same sort of structure with them again. Yeah. Do you think you would do anything different or would you continue on this plan of hoping for the best with time? I don't think that hoping for the best with time is the right strategy. Even though, you know, we figured out a way to make it work. We kept, you know, they weren't in the same uh, authority structure, command chain, but I think, you know, certainly after meeting you and talking to you and understanding there actually is thought process that goes into managing conflict and overcoming it. Um, I'm sure that there are multiple things that you could tell me, right. And other people in your profession could say that would actually help overcome that. But in the past, I would just think, well, it's just, that's just the way it is. And we'll just deal with it. Right. Um, and, and I think maybe we got away with that because all three of us were remote employees, right. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we could, we had 100% control over whether or not we saw or talked to that other person. Um, and so it was easy to kind of, you know, wall yourself off, but you know, would I do anything differently? I think it, man, my job would have been so much easier and, uh, more pleasurable if they got along. And so I would need to figure out a way to help them manage, uh, and overcome that conflict. I don't know the answer to that, Mary Brown, like you're the expert, right? <laughs> um, so I'm sure that there are great ways to, to do that. And, uh, I would have to seek out again. I didn't realize there were people like you out there that, that were doing <laughs> stuff like this. Well, Brian, I think this is the scenario that you brought up is very common. And I find myself in the scenarios where I'm not the one having a conflict, but it's like that triangle. I am in a relationship with these other two people who are having a conflict but their conflict is impacting me negatively. They're, those people are being impacted, but I'm also being impacted. But then I always think, what should I do? Right? Because we say, stay out of other people's business. Uh, you're not in charge of them. Stay in your lane. Right. And yet at the same time, when you are a team, when you are an organization or a family or friend groups, as happens sometimes, trying just to find a way for peace for yourself to deal with a toxic situation I don't think it's the best way, um, but I don't think the options are butting in where you're not in, in supposed to be um, or doing nothing. I think there is another approach which can include listening and talking, like what's going on and confronting, right? This is what I see. This is how I feel. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you think? This is how it's impacting me. Is it impacting you? What do you want to see happen? This is what I want to see happen. And I think a lot of it is listening, talking. And when people feel like, I mean, you are still friends with both of these people. When people right. feel that, right? So it's a lot about relationship. When people have a relationship with you, then they're more likely than not to be honest, to try to find a solution. And you were all professionals, right? So, uh, and, and you wanted you wanted your job to be successful. And I think a lot of times for some people, if you frame it in those terms, well, do you want to make that sale? Do you want to be more successful? Do you want to streamline? Do you want to work smarter together instead of at odds and expend that kind of energy? But I think a lot of people have that situation of what am I supposed to do about it? I, I can do the best I can, but it's not my problem in, in the sense of it's I'm not in conflict with the person. And yet right. the reality is that when there's a conflict in the office, it's like the ripple. And, you know, when you throw a stone in the pond, it has all these different ripples. And some of us are closer to it going in the water and farther away, but it does affect everybody. And so I think we need to recognize that a problem with two people is typically not just with those two people. And I don't know how many mechanisms there are to really address the stress and trauma that other people experience because of problems that other people in the office are having. Yeah, I totally agree. And one thing, you know, I was trying to think about like, what did I learn from that? What was, uh, what was something I could take away? But one thing that, that happened to me is I couldn't talk about anything that could be seen as a flaw or a fault uh, or could cause conflict with the other person. Right. If, if I, said, oh, you know, oh man, my boss has me doing this and I don't agree with it. Well, then my sales guy would run with it, right? And it just reinforces the negativity maybe that they feel. Or if I said the same thing about, you know, if, if my sales guy does something that I don't understand he's doing, 
and I say it to my boss, I mean, they use that to reinforce their, their negative opinion. Right. And so it also, you know, sometimes we feel like we just need to vent, right. It doesn't do anything. It's like, we just need to kind of let off the, the pressure a little bit and like, you know, I, again, you know, talking to your spouse or whatever the case may be, uh, your confidant or whoever that is. And uh, you don't really need them to fix anything. You just kind of need to say it, right? It's like writing that email of stuff that you want to say and maybe just don't send it because it has stuff in it you probably shouldn't say, right? And, and so, you know, I definitely was to that point where I had to think about when I was talking to one or the other, oh, don't say that because they'll, they'll take it this way. Even if it was perfectly innocent, fine. You knew that it was going to be received a certain way. So, definitely changes how you communicate with other people, which, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, you need to have more open communication and that conflict kind of cuts that off and makes it not even an option. Yeah. Sales is a very creative endeavor. And the more you can communicate and brainstorm and put things out there and work with one another, the better everyone's going to be. Yeah. And so when we have these, you know, well, everyone's working, it's okay, you know, if there are these kinds of problems, but when there's a lack of direct, the ability to have direct communication the organization suffers. And a lot of times we don't know what we lost, right? We don't know that we could have gotten that sale or that market could have opened up to us because we were busy doing things that took us off mission. And then we weren't able to work together to brainstorm, to really see the creativity that somebody else has or the ideas. And instead of kind of fighting with them, working with them to see, oh, what about this and this? And somebody else takes another part, you know, this, the synergy, you know, whatever that sort of techie word, uh, whatever happens when people come together in a room and you're able just to put it out continually, you know, not just once, but for years, you yeah. know, what you get at the end, is just a gold mine. Yeah. And, you know, I've worked for companies that are a few hundred people, a few hundred employees up to, well, we started a small business that was, you know, 10 employees or so, but Generally, when I'm working for, you know, we'll call it corporate America, a couple hundred employees to over a hundred thousand, right? And a couple of jobs in between. And what I find is uh, the smaller the organization, the easier it is to control the um, kind of that core, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of like the, you know, how, how everyone reacts to each other and like just the kind culture. of- of the yeah, the culture, the identity that, and, and uh, the smaller companies generally are deciding, and it's been in my experience, um, we're not only going to hire the people with the right skills, but we're going to hire people with the right personality, the right uh, kind of the ones that would fit into the culture that we're creating here. Um, as you get larger and, you know, it's harder and harder. Oh, I need a hundred thousand people that fit this culture. I mean, that's really, really tough to do. Right. So you start uh, that, that culture piece kind of starts being devalued a little bit in, in, in the people that you're looking for. So you bring people in where you're going to have more of that conflict against uh, the culture you're trying to build. So those smaller companies, that's been what's great about the couple of small companies I worked for is culture is just great. And the company I work for now, they actually they, they say that their, their rule is no jerks, right? They, they will not hire if, if, if you're the right person, but you have the wrong personality or the wrong attitude. You're not going to work here, even if you're the best in your field, right? Um, you have to fit in. And it's made it so easy to go to the different departments. And in, in the case of what we were talking about earlier, going to these uh, cross-functional jobs and, and people that you, you don't report to or they don't report to you and still have a team effort and have everyone work together. Uh, so that culture really kind of sets that up to be successful, right? When you have it where they don't see it eye to eye, and you don't have a, 
that culture that's important, it makes it a lot harder to do all those things. I like that, you know, this idea of no jerks. Some people will say, well, if everybody's the same in an organization that's bad for the organization, they don't grow. But if you have a culture of respect, right? You can have different ideas. Right. We want pushback. We want people to challenge the status quo, but you can do it in a way that respects people, that is inclusive so that people keep on coming up with ideas instead of feeling shot down or personally attacked, right? I yes. am all for that standard. Let's not attack people. Let's attack the problem. Let's be on mission. And if you have a culture like that, if somebody is maybe acting inappropriately, you can definitely have systems in place to help them. Sometimes people don't know. They think they're being um, on mission, but they're being overly aggressive so that they're harming another employee. And sometimes people don't realize because sure. of where they grew up, um, how they see the world, what they say is straight talk. They don't see it as rude, but if in the culture it is rude, you know, there's all these opportunities to mentor people, um, to not to take away person, people's differences and ways of being, because a type A can be very helpful. Um, Absolutely. But we, right. But to be able to bring all of those sorts of differences on board. Our current CEO, you know, he's, he, he t- tells us and he's, he's put it in writing. He's said it on the webinars that he expects us to basically debate vigorously. But then when it comes to uh, the decision being made and then we're executing, he wants us to execute whatever was decided, right? So yes, come in, debate, share your ideas, you know, look at it from, you know, your, the way you've done it or what you're used to. And, and we, have, we have people from all over the world and, and most of us are remote. Um, and so we all are sharing different ideas. And so we, we do get in vigorous debates, but we also are expected to carry out the mission you know, when the decision is made, right? And I like that idea of, of debating vigor, vigorously. He even used that term. And of course, that rather than saying, hey, bring us your ideas, that's different than debate vigorously, right? Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes people think, well, if you have that kind of culture where you're asking for dissent and you're debating vigorously, that is lovely. It's going to stymie. Like, oh, we just constantly are this talky company. Yeah. We talk, talk, talk. We've got to talk about our yeah. feelings. But I think it's the opposite. When you get everything out, And then you make a decision and act because when it's a passive aggressive culture, oh my gosh, how long does a passive aggressive meeting take? Because nobody can say what it is they want to say. But if everybody is free to get it out and to brainstorm decisions made, and then we go forward, I think obviously you're going to have better ideas, uh, better buy-in, better engagement. And I think in the long run, it does take less time. For sure. I totally agree with that. So what about the most positive experience you've ever had in an organization? Now, that one was really hard. Um, You know that we already talked about the different uh, places I've gone. So I hope you don't mind that I wrote down three. Oh, perfect. Um, Because um, it it really kind of ties into three different things. So I wrote the best job I had or experienced professionally, the one that was also the most fun. And most, I got the most amusement out of, and then a marriage of those two, what was the most professional fun that I've had? And it was three different experiences. Um, So is that going to be too much if I answer it that way? Not at all. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. So professionally, uh, I had mentioned, you know, I worked for a company and I was in their call center and, and they had uh, over, I think 105,000 employees or something when I was there, they have many more than that right now. But um, I had 
so many bosses when I was there and it changed constantly. Some of the bosses were great. Some of them I didn't necessarily see eye to eye with, right? Uh, but it changed all the time. But each manager I found looking back now and, and honestly looking back even in the moment or a little bit after the moment that each manager gave me a reason to get better, right? Um, so even the ones that I, that I did really well with and I enjoyed a lot, uh, it was easy because they were pushing you to, to, to be better, do better, learn more, uh, whatever the case is, right? Um, and then the managers that you didn't see eye to eye with, uh, when you look back, everything they're asking you to do was all stuff that was going to make you better too, right? And so nobody was pushing me um, to not be successful, right? And so I think when you recognize that, um, and then not only recognize it, but embrace it, uh, you end up having a lot better outcome. Um, and so uh, the, the fun and amusement was, is, is really, obviously, I mean, you have to guess when I was on the road playing music and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's just, you know, as a, as a young person, especially with very little responsibility, it's almost like the perfect job, right? In fact, I knew a lot of musicians that ended up maybe just renting a room. They didn't have like their own home or apartment or anything because they were gone enough that when they were home, some of them even just stayed with friends. Right. Um, and so it's, it's great. You get to go out, experience a lot of things, see a lot of the world and you're doing something that's creative that you love. Right. And you're pouring into different uh, audiences and communities. And that was really cool. I just found that from a earnings standpoint, uh, it was there. The highs were, fairly high and the lows were very low. Uh, and so it, it, it definitely took a lot of planning, uh, which, you know, as a young person, I don't know that I had the, the uh, planning, uh, financial planning that I probably should have uh, to be successful. And then the third thing I want to talk about something that's professional and fun. I worked for another, it was the first kind of startup that I worked for technology company. I was an engineer, they moved me. Uh, you know, I was uh, I was in Georgia at the time, and I got moved to Alabama. And then that company moved me again to Florida, which is where I'm at now. I'm still not with that company. They got bought by somebody else, but it was just a lot of fun because it was the first time that I had been in that corporate professional setting with a small group of people um, where we all, if you did your job or didn't do your job, it made a huge difference to the company, right? And so that was a lot of fun because. Uh, you, you weren't just a number, you weren't one out of 100,000, right? You were one out of a few hundred and your job, typically you were the only one that did it or the only one of a few people that did it. So it was very important what you did. And, um, and they must've had a no jerks policy because some of those people are some of my best friends, even today, I keep up with them too. So anyways, that's my answer. Oh, that's fantastic. I love the idea of the, this last one of uh, that you talked about, about making a huge difference. Don't we all want that? We want to be seen. We want to be yeah. heard. We want to contribute. And you know, when you're, when you're one of 105,000 people on a call center line, you, you know, you're doing your job and you've got your numbers, you don't have your numbers, but seeing that tangible difference that people are counting on you and they see what you did and you know, they'll see if you didn't, but it pushes the company forward. That feels does it feel really good individually to you? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, they, they refer to those people as individual contributors or ICs. That's kind of like the internal uh, phrase that they use. 
And my job now, I'm no longer an individual contributor. And, and I've been an individual contributor for the last you know, 15 years or something. So the last nine months of my career has been different, right? Because my, my, um, my clientele, my end user, my customer has changed from the actual person buying to the person who's doing the selling. That's my customer are the people inside the company now. So will you tell us a little bit about that uh, remote worker, which you've been for a long time, and now mm-hmm. you are um, training, coming alongside people in your own right. organization. How do you build relationships remotely and help encourage people to do their best work? Well, uh, you know, Zoom or WebEx or any of those. So um, it, it's interesting. I, I always tell people, uh, from a sales perspective, and, it, and it's the way it is, humans interact with each other. Uh, we, we buy, uh, people buy from people, right? And um, so you have to impart your own humanity on someone else so they realize that you're human, right? I know it sounds silly to even say that, but the more that they associate you, not just with a voice on a phone, right? Or, um, or an email uh, where they can't even hear the tone of your voice or a text message, um, the more humanity and the different sides of you that they can see um, literally helps them realize that, hey, Brian's a person. Brian's someone I either like or I dislike or whatever, but he's human and he's someone who's on my team. He's either for me, maybe he's against me, whatever it is. But once we impart that humanity to somebody, it makes it easier to connect, right? And so um, I actually looked at some studies because uh, with COVID, of course, uh, a lot more people ended up. Uh, working from home and most sales. And I said earlier, uh, you know, people buy from people. So a lot of sales, especially when it comes to field sales, people and technology, there's a lot of face-to-face meetings, lunches on sites with companies. And that all went away with COVID, right? So everyone had to move to a remote first kind of uh, strategy. And so uh, I always encourage people, turn your camera on, turn your camera on. They need to see you. And in fact, um, I was looking at statistics. There's a company that we use and a, a tool that helps us get these statistics for our calls. But when our salespeople are on camera, we have, and the customers on camera, when they're both on camera, it's a 126% increase in close rates. Wow. And the reason is because you're making a stronger connection. And if people buy from people and you're making that stronger connection, uh, it's, it's still right. You know, what's also interesting so let's say I turn my camera on as a salesperson and they don't, I still have a 95% increase in win rates uh, just by turning my camera on. And it's, it, I don't know, sometimes it seems like silly, right? I used to just, if my customer turned their camera on, I would, but I got to the point when I saw that, Hey, I can increase my close rates hundred percent or 126%. I'm turning my camera on and I'm going to let them know if they're not comfortable, fine. You know, if they're you know, at home and they're taking care of the dogs or kids or whatever the case is, leave your camera off. That's fine. But I'm going to have mine on because I'm going to get a 95% increase in my win rates if I do that. Right. And so, I mean, it really just points back to, this is a long answer to your short question, but uh, it really is. If you can uh, connect with them on a human level, see their face, hear their voice, it's going to help you make that connection. Uh, And so that's at least what I've found in the past nine months for sure. Well, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's this human connection. And I think COVID COVID showed us, I guess we're still dealing with COVID right now, but um, COVID has shown us a lot about the future of the workplace, but also about what it means to be human, right? That we aren't computers, we're actually flesh and blood and 
what human communication is, it isn't a text, it isn't an email. It is about trying to connect, like you said, the tone of somebody's voice, looking at somebody, making eye contact, even through a screen, which for many of us has become more natural since the pandemic because we've had to do it a lot. So one thing that you're doing is you are trying to figure out how to help the sales force. Is that correct? Your, your sales yes. team? So yes. how, do, how do you motivate people when you don't get to have, you know, go to lunches and go to ballparks and, you know, all that kind of stuff that happens in an office where, as you said, uh, the manager who has contact with you three times a day, because you're in the same building versus just, you know, not, you know, the contact isn't as often. Yeah, I think in some ways uh, I can liken it to this to a sales process, right? Uh, because you are selling something, you're selling yourself to them, you're selling, you know, hey, what value can I bring to you? And and so um, a lot of it really is helping them to understand the value, um, and also to understand, like in in my particular case, I'm not there. Uh, the the way we set it up specifically is uh, I'm not part of their management, you know, overseer. Uh, authority. I'm actually kind of to the side of that because we didn't want them to feel like they had another manager looking over their shoulder. That way they could be a little more open, a, a little more vulnerable with me explaining what they their issues are and that kind of thing. So, uh, but when someone comes in and starts kind of looking over your shoulder, you most people naturally are going to have that. Uh, they're going to be skeptical of that and they don't want to open up. So a couple of things with, uh, with the new people that we hire, it's really easy for me to connect with them because I do their onboarding process. I meet with them for 12 weeks, right? And we spend hours each week with each other. And uh, I spend time on the front end getting to know them. You know, I don't start, we're just all business and, you know, we're checking boxes and it's very binary, black and white type of thing. Uh, I spend time getting to know them. And so we actually become, you know, acquaintances, possibly even friends. I don't know. Um, as it time goes on, but when you've got the veteran reps or the people that you didn't onboard or people that uh, are maybe in uh, another job function that's loosely related to what you're doing, it's a little harder. Uh, you actually have to make an effort. And so I would join, you know, I, I joined their, uh, their calls and most of them wouldn't be on camera, but what do you think I did? I turned my camera on, right? And I would always make sure that I said something, had a smile on my face. You know, uh, I usually would stand up. I've got a standing desk. And so I would stand up during those. Uh, so I, I find myself to be more attentive, more animated. Uh, and hopefully people you know, want to engage with me. Going back to the concept of sales, and this will be my last point here. When you are initially meeting someone, they are skeptical of you. And this happens in sales. And so you have to do things on the front end to prove to them that you possibly could bring value to them. So in the case of sales, you're going to talk about how you've helped other customers and, and how you know, they were be able to overcome whatever problem they had in the past, right? But if you can take that same idea from on your a personal level with people inside your organization, maybe there's other people that you've helped in a particular situation. Maybe they're really struggling to hit their number or uncover new opportunities or get business closed or get it from stage three to stage four, whatever the case is, right? And say, hey, I've worked with this person. This is what we were able to accomplish. I did it this way. And explain to them the value potentially you well, that you have brought to other people and potentially you could bring to them. It kind of helps them to start opening up and feeling like, okay, maybe there's some value in this relationship, right? Because a lot of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we're from the beginning thinking, what's in it for me? 
what can I get out of this relationship? Do I need to invest a lot of effort, time, uh, and resources into it? I think that's really interesting, this relationship, the way that your organization has structured this relationship. When I think about a healthy work environment, we want an environment that not only respects the dignity and worth of everybody, but helps them flourish. And so with them not reporting to you, but you coming in sort of as a coach or trainer, do you think that is accomplishing the goal that you have that they don't feel like you're watching them like the manager? Is it doing what you imagined it would do? Uh, I'd like to say yes. Um, I hope so. Although with the folks that I didn't onboard and so I don't have a strong relationship, I still see it in their eyes, right? I still kind of see that glimmer of doubt. Um, So it's still there. Now, would it be worse if I was part of their official management structure that they report up through? It probably would be worse. But in some ways you think, well, gosh, it'd be easier because then I could just tell them what to do and then they have to do it. Now I have to convince them and that's awful, right? <laughs> um, but that's really what sales is anyway. So, um, so, uh, so it, you know what? It probably is better doing it this way, uh, but I can't take away the fact that they're still human and they're going to have those human responses to that. Certainly uh, one thing that, that uh, I learned uh, from, from the humanity aspect is it's easy to treat others as fellow humans when you see them as a fellow human. And I know that's kind of weird to say, but anytime you find yourself thinking of a person as an other, right? You, I, I call it, you know, othering somebody, you know, if we could uh, use that. And uh, that's already, you're already putting yourself in an unhealthy situation. You've already gone too far. And so you need to take a step back and find a way to see them as a peer, see them as a human first. You know, when we um, desacralize them or take away their, their sacredness, right, um, and make them something other than human, you find that your mind will allow you to do things and say things that you normally wouldn't to another person. Certainly in person, uh, to their face, um, you know, you have the anonymity uh, on social media. Sometimes you can get away with doing some of that. But uh, in an organization, that anonymity is not there. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with that. You know, when we can really see the humanity with one another and have empathy for them and realize that they're people first and maybe employees third, fourth, fifth. I mean, that's just one aspect of their life that we're all, we're all humans and we all deserve to be treated um, with the infinite value and worth that we have just a right of being a human person. If you can do that constantly, instead of thinking everybody is for or against me, or what am I going to get out of this relationship as if they are some object to manipulate? It doesn't mean that we can't have really functional and beautiful relationships where we do get things from one another, but the base is always respecting the humanity of the other person. I think sometimes in management, they say, you know, the misquote of power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. There is something to that, that when we get in a power position, all of a sudden we say people report to me as if they're my minions in some sense. and. Anytime a leader has that mentality, even if they're not doing it intentionally, hopefully, hopefully they're not, I think it's detrimental because the leader is the server, right? The leader is there to help everyone be better, to help further the organization, right? The doctor is there because we have sick people. We don't have sick people for a doctor, right? The, lead, the people aren't there to serve the leader. The leader is there to serve the people in the mission of the organization. But that's hard when you have a busy, important job. 
I see it over and over with the different organizations. I see leader worship and there, and then the leader gets, the leader gets out of touch. They don't know what's going on because people won't tell them what's going on because they don't want to, you know, they, they, they want that leader to think everything is fine. But if you think everything's fine in your organization, <laughs> you don't know what's going on in your organization because that's just normal. Yeah. Conflict is normal. When you look into the future of work, um, sort of to close out our conversation, what is your vision? What do you think would help usher in really seeing the humanity in our fellow employees? <laughs> um, I'll tell you what I've done, and it's helped out tremendously, is I have severely cut back my time on social media, um, especially on the personal side. So on the business side, I'm still involved. Um, you know, with LinkedIn and, you know, posting things about career progression and, and you know, furthering the, the marketing messaging and stuff like that of my company. But I'm not, I'm no longer getting into anything online that makes me other somebody, as I mentioned earlier. I found uh, a couple election cycles ago that I was really getting into and buying into the watching one or two news channels and, you know, believing everything I heard and, and using the, what I heard there to influence uh, my reaction and uh, my response to other people, right? And, oh, you're on that side of this issue. And so, you know, you're an other, right? And you're, you're, you're saying this on social media. So that makes you an other, you know, you're not like me. And I found that as I cut back more and more of that, um, I was number one, I was happier. I was a better person, you know, and I know like I struggle with this so much of, um, you don't want to, uh, put your head in the sand and pretend that stuff is not bad or not happening, or it doesn't need to be dealt with. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to be part of the problem. You don't want to take something and amplify it. Or in the case of some, you know, we've even seen some news stories since I kind of brought that up where news stories have kind of turned out to not be true, but people got all up in arms about it. And then they've already taken sides and damage was done. Right. Um, and so I, I think that's probably a big one is just do stuff that's not going to take the humanity away from other people. And if you start seeing people as others and they're losing your humanity, you're doing something wrong, do something different. I love that. I could go on and on talking about technology and social media, but as you said, maybe for a different podcast, somebody out there yeah. could have both of us on and we could talk about that. So Brian, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was awesome to be here. I, anytime you need help, you let me know. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for being on Conflict Managed. I couldn't agree with you more that we need to see the humanity in others. If we have any chance of having truly people-centric workplaces, we've got to clearly see the humanity and all the people we encounter. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Our music is provided by Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time. Take care. Join me on